This episode contains graphic descriptions of violence. Please be advised. I'm kind of like an obsessive true crime enthusiast, even more so now that I'm retired. But when I was on the job, I was I really uh, got into these cases. That's retired Deputy Chief Joseph Herbert. He joined the NYPD in 1981. In his 36 years on the job, he cracked a lot of cases in some of Brooklyn's toughest neighborhoods. He earned the department's Medal of Valor in 1985, made detective in 1986. The summer of 1990, he followed the Zodiac story in the papers and even got a chance to run down a lead for the investigation. Whenever leads came in that took them to different parts of the city, sometimes they would farm out the lead to the local squad. So I was sitting in the A4 squad and I get a lead from the Zodiac Task Force. Someone had called up in the uh, Clinton Hill area and they noticed a large Zodiac design that covered many backyards. Herbert and his partner checked it out. Uh, you know, we were excited to start participating in, in the Zodiac uh, case. And uh, we went up on the roof and the, the woman showed us uh, what she was talking about. And what it was was a very large circle, like maybe 30, 40 feet uh, in diameter. Someone, probably an artist, had created a Zodiac in a circle, like a Zodiac symbol, using newspapers. The backyard masterpiece might have been odd, but it was harmless. When you're investigating a Zodiac killer, and I'm sure they encountered this in California also with the original Zodiac, because people are so interested in the astrology and the Zodiac, they bombard you with leads. They mean well, but they consume your time. A few years later, Joseph Herbert would find himself at the center of the Zodiac case. It would be time for him to set aside the true crime books and dig into the case files. He had a serial killer to catch. I'm retired Detective Sergeant Wally Zions, and you're listening to Breaking the Case, a true crime podcast written and produced by the New York City Police Department and supported by the New York City Police Foundation. In the previous episode, a serial killer calling himself the Zodiac shoots his fourth victim in Central Park and threatens to kill eight more people according to their birth signs. The case is highly publicized and the horoscope angle fuels the frenzy. Then Zodiac goes quiet until one day in August 1994, he comes back. This is the New York Zodiac copycat. Episode three, Return of the Zodiac, coming up after the break. Friday, August 5th, 1994. It's been four years since the New York Zodiac disappeared. This is the Zodiac speaking. Here it is. August 10th, 1.50 a.m., 1992. White female shot two times and stabbed. 22 cal. A new letter from the Zodiac lands on the front page of the New York Post. The envelope is postmarked August 1st from Queens and affixed with a love stamp. 11.35 p.m., 1993. White man shot in the head. All in Brooklyn, Highland Park. Zodiac claims to have shot five more victims in 1992 and 1993 in the same geographic area as his first three shootings. He includes a cryptic message using a cipher of naval flags, and he wants the public to know that he's keeping score. 
NYPD Zero, Zodiac Nine. Sleep, my little dead. How we loathe them. January 3rd, 1993, I'm assigned to the 75 Detective Squad, East New York, Brooklyn. In the waning years of the crack epidemic, crime was rampant in New York City throughout the country. Joe Herbert was a detective sergeant working in East New York. In 1993, the 7-5 recorded an all-time high of 126 homicides and over 500 non-fatal shootings. To put that in context, in 2021, there were 26 homicides and 75 shootings in the 7-5, a decrease of about 80%. Back then, the 7-5 squad had a motto, give us 22 minutes and we'll give you a homicide. The 7-5 precinct is five square miles. So I had about 40 detectives in the squad with me. We were running literally case to case, crime scene to crime scene, interview to interview. We were consumed with with fighting crime. In August of 1994, the New York Post gets a letter from the Zodiac. He's taking credit for an additional five shootings and he's telling the NYPD and the media that he's the Zodiac and that he's back. I assigned detectives to research these particular crimes because he would give the date, the time, and the best part of a location that he could, and a description, a brief description of the victim. Then a couple hours later, they came back to me, and they said, we found four of them that we believe are crimes that he's referring to. Uh, We're still looking for the fifth one. The four crimes that he took credit for were two non-fatal incidents and two homicides that all occurred in Highland Park, which is on the East New York and Queens border. In fact, and this benefited him early in his crime spree, Highland Park runs between two precincts. Actually, it might be three precincts, the 104 and the 106 and the 75. So the 75 of those four that we identified caught one non-fatal shooting, Diane Ballard. The rest of them were in Queens, technically, but it's only like a football field away. Handwriting experts analyzed the note. Compared to previous notes written by the Zodiac, it's not a complete match. Also, in the new note, there's no reference to astrology or the victim's signs, and the information about the shootings is presented differently. In their report, the analysts say this Zodiac is a copycat of a copycat. The story breaks and a lot of media, a lot of attention, uh, renewed all the fears that people had. Chief of Detectives Joseph Borelli forms a task force, the Zodiac Task Force 2. Zodiac, the sequel, is underway. Ann Murray, the reporter who got the first letter from the Zodiac at the New York Post, was working at a different section of the paper by then. But there's no shortage of reporters chasing the story. An editor at the New York Post gives a letter to investigators for fingerprint and DNA analysis. Within three days, the New York Post cracks the ciphered message by the Zodiac. The symbols are based on a maritime system of international flags and pennants. A Post reporter working with his father-in-law, a retired army codebreaker, comes up with this message. This is the Zodiac speaking. I am in control. Be ready for more. Yours truly. Some investigators on the second task force, including Joe Herbert, thought that the new Zodiac was the same guy from 1990. August 10th, 1.50 a.m., 1992. White female shot two times and stabbed. 22 caliber. He was right on the money with the dates and the times. Although he did get away from documenting their astrological signs. You know, it's difficult to shoot 12 people and get their birth dates right uh, without doing a lot of background and research and 
familiarizing himself with the potential victims. He got away from that uh, in, in the later series of events. The body of the first victim, Patricia Fonte, had been found in an overgrown area of the Highland Park Reservoir. Patricia Fonte was a uh, unique case even for the Zodiac. Fonte was the Zodiac's first female victim. She lived in the Bronx. She was 39 years old and had two kids. When we started investigating that murder, we realized she stared 100 times, exactly 100 times. And he does say in, in his letter when he claims credit for it, he says shot and stab. But the medical examiner couldn't locate a bullet in her body. That doesn't mean that one of the obvious knife attacks, knife wounds that she had on her body, one of them could have been a graze, or maybe he missed her. June 4th, 10.04 p.m., 1993. White male shot in the back. 40-year-old James Weber was taking a shortcut through Highland Park on his way to his sister's house in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. He was on Vermont Avenue, a few hundred feet away from where Patricia Fonte was killed. Out of nowhere, someone came behind him and shot him in the lower back. As the man sprinted away, Weber heard him laughing. Weber survived. The bullet missed his spine and lodged in his thigh. He was preying on the weak, the vulnerable. You know, he wasn't going for six foot two football players uh, walking down a block. A month later, Zodiac shot another man in the same spot. July 20th, 11.35 p.m., 1993. White male shot in the head, 380 auto. His name was Joseph Diacone. He didn't survive. Mr. Diacone, who was another homeless individual, he had previously lived in a mental institution in Long Island. In fact, when uh, the autopsy him, he had underwear on that had somebody else's name on it. So that actually sent the detectives off on a, a tangent trying to identify the name on the underwear. But what I'm getting at is he would attack people that, you know, uh, had issues. The fourth victim was a 40-year-old woman. She was shot south of the reservoir, close to the park entrance at Highland Place. And then the last victim, Diane Ballard, in Highland Park with a group of friends. And then she decides to walk home and uh, she hears somebody coming out of the bushes. She sees a man pointing a gun at her. Here's how she described it to a New York Post reporter. This shadow came up on me. I looked at him, he looked at me. He put his mouth tight together and he shot me. I saw a ball of fire and fell. Ballard was shot in the neck, but she survived. The fifth victim in the, in the August 1st letter that we never identified, uh, he described it as a, a male shot. Uh, we believe that either he grazed the individual and the individual didn't report it, or maybe he missed them, because we searched high and low for that victim. We used cadaver dogs. We had a helicopter fly over Highland Park with heat-seeking equipment, trying to see maybe there's a body, uh, you know, in the, in the woods somewhere. Couldn't find anything. Diane Ballard was the only witness who had seen the Zodiac up close. She described her assailant as an attractive Hispanic man with a mustache, about five foot ten, wearing a black floppy hat with a brim. The New York Post published a sketch based on her description. It differed dramatically from the sketch made in 1990 of a heavy-set black man. The Guardian Angels put the new sketch on a poster and hung it up across Highland Park. It included a message, Guardian Angels to the Zodiac 2. Your horoscope says your time is up. You got to realize one thing. I always, always go back to the, the beginning, the first one, you know. That's retired detective Louis Savarese, also known as Big Lou. 
In the early 90s, he was a member of the Brooklyn North Homicide Task Force. I always thought in all my cases, it's, it's the first one. Savarese was on the first Zodiac Task Force. From the beginning, his theory was the Zodiac lived near the border of the 75 Precinct and the 102 Precinct, the East New York Woodhaven area where the first victim was shot. You see, he was out roaming the streets. He admits in 1990, when the story first broke, he was skeptical. He changed his mind after the shooting in Central Park. I don't consider it's real until I get the note in Central Park. Then it, it like hit me, this is real. He's out writing letters and shooting people. In Brooklyn North Homicide, Lou had a reputation as a grinder. This is his colleague on the second Zodiac Task Force, Joe Herbert. Louis Savarese, we, we call him the animal. He's a, he's a very large man. He has, uh, the last count, I think he had 120 tattoos on his body. He's got every serial killer uh, that you know about is tattooed on his body somewhere. He appears to be, you know, like intimidating and all that. He's got a heart of gold. He's the most compassionate, dedicated uh, detective that I, that I really worked with in my career. I'll tell you, he's old school, old time detective. Old school might sound like a cliche, but things were different in the days of analog. And to be successful, you couldn't cut corners. Everything was done by foot. Everything was done by, I guess you would say, by hand. You would uh, meet people and uh, try to get information from them, who you're looking for. We had no computers to tell us descriptions or who this guy was. Uh, everything was done on the street, uh, hoping for an anonymous phone call if you got it, you know. And you just followed up on the investigation, knocked on doors. Savarese believed that the leak about the fingerprint in the summer of 1990 sent the Zodiac underground. The fingerprint really annoyed the hell out of me. Chief of Detectives Joseph Borelli had clamped down on the leaks, but they were still happening. The publicity surrounding the case allowed the Zodiac to stay one step ahead of the task force, and that frustrated Big Lou. He was doing us. He was getting away with it and getting over on it. We did our best we could for the first task force, you know, but it wasn't ready yet. The second task force was headquartered at the 107 precinct in the Fresh Meadows section of Queens and led by Inspector Michael Gardner. This is Joe Herbert again. Inspector Michael Gardner, he was the boss in Manhattan Detectives. And then if he put a full day in at work, he would come out to Queens, where we were based. We'd brief him, we would uh, tell him, you know, where we were, what we were doing, and he would provide direction and ideas. He led by example, but he knew the job. He knew how to investigate. Because the crimes announced in the August 1st letter were one to two years old, Herbert approached the Zodiac as a cold case. And there's benefits with that, and there's also disadvantages with that. Benefits are the detectives that worked the case before you, they already uh, made their observations, recovered whatever they could recover, and you know now what it is. The disadvantages, well, maybe I would have tried something else, or maybe I would have capitalized, tried to capitalize on this, and it's too late. There was one path Herbert chose not to follow in his investigation. I studied the letters, you know, for, for years. I would look at other experts in the field, their comments in the media, and uh, some of them were saying that, you know, he's, he's, he's talking about the, the zodiacal lights and, and, and all this stuff, and it made some sense, but I didn't get the sense from them that he was like a real astrological wizard. I just concentrated on the, on the evidence, and primarily in this case, it was the ballistics and the fingerprint that was recovered at the Central Park scene. 
One theory held by Herbert and others was that Zodiac left his fingerprint at the scene after he looked at Larry Parham's ID. Then he drew Parham's astrological sign on the note. The fingerprint appeared to be left by his right thumbprint on the right side of the paper, on the lower half of the paper. Do you need eight points of identification for a fingerprint to be recognized in court? We had eight. We didn't have nine. We didn't have seven. We had, we had eight. So early on, everybody realizes the value of fingerprints. And at the time, computers weren't really fully developed yet. And the databases for fingerprints were just in, in its infancy. After we ran the fingerprints that was recovered at the Larry Parham shooting in Central Park, they ran it through the databases that existed at the time. And we got no hit. This led Herbert to think about the geography of the crimes. We knew he had two comfort zones. When the Zodiac attacked his first three victims in 1990, he had a comfort zone at the East New York-Queens border. And he created a new comfort zone from the original one that he had on the streets of, uh, of East New York and, and Queens. And his new comfort zone was Highland Park. We surmised that the park environment, he felt more comfortable, he felt more brave, less cars driving by, he could see further if people were coming by, potential witnesses, police, anybody that could stop him. What I did chasing that fingerprint was I went a mile east, a mile west, a mile north, and a mile south of those two comfort zones, the streets of East New York and then Highland Park. And we ran every address within that four square mile area. And then we ran all those addresses for people who have criminal histories, misdemeanors, felonies, so you have to understand, one of the reasons I took this endeavor on is the computer databases were still in their infancy, and it was only certain crimes, serious felonies, that were entered in these computers to begin with. So we, you're kind of cutting your odds. So I wanted to expand it as best I could and to make sense. We felt because of the two comfort zones, they were close to each other, the crimes were close to each other, we felt that he was on foot and that he was local to that area. Months of work. We ran all the addresses received everybody's NICE number, uh, criminal identification number. Then we went down to the courts. We collected 4,500 sets of fingerprints from uh, the people that we identified that lived in that area that had criminal histories. And then, that was a lot of work in itself. Then we had to type up DD5s, uh, which are NYPD reports, requesting that these fingerprints, that we have the hard copy now, be evaluated manually with the fingerprint that was recovered from the Larry Parham shooting. A lot of work. You have 4,500 cards, you have 10 fingers on each card that were not very happy with me in the latent print unit. However, they had a couple of detectives, uh, one primarily who I remember distinctly, uh, Detective Ronald Alonges. He uh, was the most dedicated latent print examiner that I ever encountered, and he led the charge on the fingerprints. So now I was walking around with my beeper if I went to bed, I put the beeper attached to my underwear because I, I, I knew I was going to get the call and I didn't want to miss it. Uh, call never came. There was no fingerprint match. When the initial series of shootings were investigated in 1990, two bullets were recovered. There were no bullets recovered from the shootings in 92 and 93. But James Weber who had survived a shooting in Highland Park in June 1993, still had a slug lodged in his thigh. Here's Joe Herbert again. They had already tracked down Mr. Weber. They were able to convince him, we'll take you to the hospital, let the doctors do a procedure on you, and we'll recover the bullet. The bullet recovered from Weber's leg 
was sent to the lab. We thought there was a possibility that he was utilizing a zip gun, which was a homemade device. There was also a possibility that he was filing out the barrels of the gun. This was because in the very first letter to the New York Post in 1990, Zodiac said the generic 38 caliber bullets he used had no grooves. That was true. The two bullets recovered from those crime scenes didn't have any rifling marks. In the Zodiac's mind, he knew he wasn't using a manufactured weapon, and he was bragging, no lands, no grooves, you're never going to catch me. But the Zodiac was mistaken. He doesn't realize any pipe that's used to discharge a weapon is going to leave distinct nicks, marks on a weapon that they can compare. It doesn't have to be lands and grooves to match up. That was big information for us. So now we had a potential method of chasing down ballistics. In October 1994, the lab results for the Weber bullet came in. It had no grooves or rifling marks. It was consistent with the bullets recovered from the attacks in 1990. That led detectives on the task force to conclude that Zodiac 2 wasn't a copycat of a copycat. There was only one New York Zodiac. Since Zodiac was making homemade guns, it was possible that he liked reading gun magazines. Here's Detective Savaris again. We had a DA on board with us. Yo, I need a warrant. Fax it right over. Sent a warrant to Shotgun News. Give me everybody who's getting the Shotgun News in that area. The area in question was on the East New York-Woodhaven border. Savaris typed up his request on a DD-5 form. I did fives on a numerous people who bought the Shotgun News to see if they were getting ammunition. It didn't bring him any closer to finding the Zodiac. The task force tried a different angle. We went to gun ranges on uh, Jamaica Avenue, across the street from uh, the school there, Franklin K. There's a gun range there. Savarese interviewed some of the local gun enthusiasts, but no suspects emerged. We did a lot of work in the second task force, and I'm proud of what we did. I mean, you got holes in your shoes. That's how much walking you did and talking and... You know, you go through peaks and valleys of, of emotions. Frustration, definitely you get frustrated. Uh, so you're optimistic. You know, you're naturally optimistic because you want to solve it. Months were passing. Still, no suspect. At Task Force headquarters in Queens, the tips kept rolling in. Zodiac Task Force, Officer Jones speaking. How can I help you? So one individual who hung out in Highland Park, young male Hispanic guy, uh, he used to dress all black all the time, black hat, black leather clothing, black pants. And he would wear a pentagram on his uh, collar. He raised suspicion to people that were in the community. So we took a look at him. Lo and behold, he has a shoebox full of gun parts in his home that he tells us about. And uh, we put a lot of work and effort into him. The shoebox, it was a large shoebox. We sent that to the ballistics lab. They spent a lot of time trying to, you know, get the barrels to work with the gun and to, to check the markings and so forth. It led nowhere. But like these are just examples of the kind of work that go into an investigation. Behind the scenes, no one knows about, but it takes time, it takes resources, it takes effort. These stories don't get told because the media wants the crime, the perp, the guy, you, you, you know what I'm saying? But all the, the legwork and the uh, dedication really goes under the wire, you know? Herbert reread the Zodiac's letters a lot. My wife told me that she would come home from work and I'd be uh, unconscious sleeping on the couch and I had the letters all over the floor. They fell, well, I fell asleep, like, you know, like studying the letters. I, I used to study them because I, I knew there's a lot of information in those letters. In the Zodiac's note to the 7-5 precinct in November 1989, he wrote, I've seen a lot of police at Jamaica Avenue and Eldred Lane, but you are not good and you will not get the Zodiac. 
He's giving you information that's in his heart, in his mind, and it's for you as a good investigator, a good detective, to see if you can capitalize on any of that information. He's talking about Jamaica Avenue, Elders Lane. That's where Franklin K. Lane High School is. Franklin K. Lane High School closed in 2012. Today, its campus is home to six different high schools. It's on the southeast corner of Highland Park, across the street from a train station. So if you go to Franklin K. Lane High School, if you go to Elders Lane and Jamaica Avenue, that he specifically says that intersection, the front of Franklin K. Lane High School, there's a, there's a track field, it's a large field, and they have stadium benches. And it was apparent to us that he would hang out on top of the stadium benches, watch the subway station that's on the corner, and watch people coming out of the subway and follow them. That's how I believe he encountered Mr. Orozco coming off from work. That's how he encountered Mr. Montenegro coming from Manhattan. In my view, he utilized that same concept of watching below him. He had the benefit of looking down. Nobody's bothering him. He's all by himself. When he went to Highland Park, what does he become familiar with? The reservoir. What is the reservoir area? It's the highest part of the park. You can look down at the entire park. You see people driving by, see people riding bikes by, see people walking by. And then where Diacone and Weber got shot, they're literally 100 feet away from each other. If you look at the, the setup there, there's a trampled down path that people use to come down from the reservoir area to the, to the roadway. In my mind, I see him. He's up on the reservoir surveilling. He sees the opportunity. He looks around. There's no cars coming. There's no, no other people coming. There's no witnesses. He comes down the path, approaches him behind, and shoots him in the back. We called it the perch. Like, you know, he was looking down as a predator, you know, as a bird or an animal. And when he saw his victims, and then he saw that they were, the coast was clear, it's a good opportunity for me to attack, he struck. Same thing with Diane Ballard. Where does he come from? He comes from the bushes. The bushes are actually inclined there, too. So he comes down the bushes and boom, hits, shoots, and runs. Herbert's understanding of the Zodiac's comfort zones led him to a deeper understanding of who this individual was. The profile that I, I had in my mind wasn't exact, mid-30s, uh, approaching 40. I believe he was local to East New York. I believe he was on foot. The Larry Parham shooting in, in Central Park led me to believe that he was capable of hopping on a train in New York City. I didn't think he was that educated because of the, the nature of the letters. He did say in the letters that he was the original Zodiac killer, the, the California Zodiac killer, and that uh, he's the same killer, one killer. He was offended that he, he read an article in the paper stating that he was not uh, the Zodiac that we knew. And let me to believe that he had a little bit of a weak personality. He's trying to copy somebody else and not stand on his own merits. Also, majority serial killers, their motivation could be sexual. We didn't see that here. Patricia Fonte and Diane Ballard were the uh, only two female victims. Diane Ballard was just a, you know, a run-up, runaway type incident. Fonte, there was no evidence of a sexual attack. What was motivating him, I can only speculate. He liked being in the media. He liked the attention. Herbert also found an explanation for the astrology and occult references in the letters. On some of his letters, he would draw an upside-down cross with the number six, six, and six at the points of the course, you could conceive that there's some kind of religion thing. He mentioned Faust. He was, again, in my mind, you know, and I'm just an average, you know, Joe, uh, in my mind, he was trying to be something that he wasn't, you know, whether it be religious advocate or expert or whatever, or devilish worshiper or whatever. 
he was struggling with something in his mind, you know, I felt uh, from, from looking at those letters. In December 1994, just before the holidays, the second task force was winding down. Here's Detective Savarese. The task force was disbanding in Christmas time, and they have a little party, and Joe Borelli comes there, and he wasn't happy we didn't make a collar. Chief of Detectives Borelli wanted to close out the case. Savarese remained optimistic that Zodiac would make a mistake that would lead to his arrest. I always thought that we don't have him now, but it's, it's going to have to pop sooner or later. The end of the second task force didn't mean that Savarese or Herbert stopped thinking about the case. A lot of times cases really, they grip you. They really uh, grab your soul and your heart. And this case was one case like that. You want to catch the guy because you know he's going to continue hurting people. It becomes like an obsession. Even when you're home, you know, you're with your family, you're constantly thinking about it. The holidays, you know, I'm sitting home with my wife and my daughter and and I'm thinking about the Zodiac, you know. Uh, so um, the case becomes a part of you until you solve it, or if you don't solve it, it becomes a part of you until the day you die. In the next episode of Breaking the Case, a hostage negotiation job brings detectives one step closer to solving the case. I knew I had to prove beyond a reasonable doubt this was the Zodiac. Thanks for listening to Breaking the Case. The Zodiac letters were read by Detective Michael Smirtek. The part of Diane Ballard was read by Evelyn Green. Breaking the Case is written and produced by the New York City Police Department and supported by the New York City Police Foundation. Subscribe to Breaking the Case for a new episode every Tuesday in Season 3. If you like our show, please consider giving it five stars and recommending it to your friends. And follow the NYPD on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I'm retired Detective Sergeant Wally Zions. Thanks for listening. Until next time, be safe.